up on it. Think about that. We'll come back after the break. This is Kim Hammer. You're listening to the Kim Hammer Show. Good afternoon. Welcome back to the Kim Hammer Show. This is Kim Hammer, the host. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. A quick shout-out to my sponsors, which would be Everett Buick GMC down in Saline County for a good new vehicle or for a certified pre-owned vehicle uh, that has been checked out, ready to go. You can drive off the lot with confidence. A great place to go as well as all their service department. And then Baxley Penfield Mounty Real Estate here in central Arkansas. Take care of all your real estate needs. And when I say all your real estate needs, I mean all your real estate needs, whether you're residential or commercial, They'll take really good care of you. They've got great customer service. Also, Edward Food Stores here in central Arkansas, also over in east Arkansas. Stores are always great, clean. Uh, they do a great job as far as dealing with you know social distancing and all the things that we're trying to be team players about as we deal with the COVID-19 epidemic. Uh, they're well-stocked, and their prices are very competitive, so I'd encourage you to uh, shop Edward's Food Store. All right, next week I want to mention, too, because it is a show I don't think you're going to want to miss. Uh, next week, I'm going to have uh, Minnesota Senator Dr. Jensen. Uh, he's been in the news a little bit. He has taken an opposite position other than some of those uh, in the medical field, which has uh, resulted in him getting called before the Minnesota Medical Board uh, for his comments that he has made. He has agreed to be on the show, and we'll have him on next Saturday. I'll dedicate the whole show to him. And so uh, make plans now to share that with your friends, and I think it will be an interesting show to come back on. So, Dr. Dillahay, let me pick up where we left off, and then we're going to bring Dr. Spann into the conversation. Um, how, how realistic is it that for as much information you have to collect on people that you're going to be able to go that deep and expect people to stay home, even though the letter that you sent to them is a pretty sternly written letter? Um, how, how realistic is it that it's going to happen, or are we just spending a whole lot of energy for nothing? Well, uh, my hope is that the vast majority of people will do that because that's going to be a really important strategy for us in Arkansas to uh, break the chain of transmission. It, we have got to uh, isolate when we have the illness and when we've been exposed, we really need to quarantine. Okay. Uh, I did want to ask you a question about the tracers. Are these all employed by the Department of Health and by the two contractors or do you have volunteers that are doing it? We have some uh, organizations that have staff that are helping us. Uh, it includes Blue Cross Blue Shield, the Central Arkansas Library System, uh, UALR School of Social Work. So they have uh, people in their system uh, that are part of their employees uh, that um, are have been trained as contact tracers, and they are assisting us. And. Do they operate under the same HIPAA guidelines that the companies operate under and that the Department of Health? And do you have any known problems with people uh, when they call and they go through this questionnaire uh, being biased in the way in which they ask the information or collect the information? Uh, they are required to have the same kind of training and uh, agreements with HIPAA as well as the data collection and um protection. Uh, we wouldn't allow them to do it if we couldn't protect the data and the confidentiality of the information. Um, I have not heard of any problems of groups or individuals not following the, um, uh, I guess you could say the script, the information collecting process that we want them to follow. 
um, we do have uh, quality control measures into place, and so, uh, and we, if we were to hear of any, we would definitely look into it. And with regard to a comment you made a while ago about how long the information is stored, you said until the pandemic's over. What constitutes the pandemic being over? Because we're asking people to give a whole right. lot of personal information on the hopes that someday right. that information is going to be destroyed so, or done away with. And that's asking a whole lot right. of people. And are you having trouble with people actually participating when you call them to get the information on the form? So um, what I intended to communicate is that when the pandemic is over, we'll have to decide what to do with the information. I do not know at this point in time what the decision will be, but we do know that uh, we maintain records of other reportable diseases so that they can be traced uh, in the way that they are needed. So um, um, it's going to be important for people to provide us with information so that we can track their contacts. We do uh, encounter people who do not want to share their information. They don't want us to know where they have been. Uh, and that is a challenge um, uh, to win the trust of the people we're interviewing so that they can help us stop the spread. Um, some people are suspicious. Uh, and we want people that receive calls from the contact tracers or the health department to know who we are. So we um, have a uh, call line that they can call if they need to verify, is this really from the health department or on behalf of the health department? And we want people to know if they are ever asked for a social security number or for financial information, it is not the health department calling. That is a scam. And we want them not to give social security numbers or financial information um, because that is something that our contact tracers would never ask for. What is that? Uh do you have a number that you can give me that I could get up on my website that people could look? Yes. Uh, I don't have it memorized, but hold on and I'll get it for you. Okay. I'll tell you what, dude. Let's, uh, let's, John, let's bring Dr. Spann into the conversation. Dr. Spann, good to have you on the Kim Hammer Show this afternoon. Thank you for taking time to come back on. There was a few things I wanted to visit with you. We ran out of time last week. Yeah. Hey, Kim, how you doing? Dr. Dillahay, good to hear from you again. Good to talk to you. Well, thank you for being here with me. All right. Um, so let me, uh, we got about 20 minutes and, and one of the reasons I wanted to bring Dr. Spann into the conversation one, we didn't get to finish last week and Dr. Dillahay, you represent the health department. Dr. Spann is out in the field working. One of the things that people that I hear, you know, people saying, because we keep getting these directives passed down from the governor. And, uh, I know that the health department is an active participant in giving the governor information that he's making the directives and the orders from. So y'all are, you know, kind of joined at the hip. Um, but one thing that is struggling with people out there, people are struggling with is we've got to see a pathway forward to where we can live life and we can have the hope of knowing that there's a pathway forward out of this. Um, and Dr. Spann, let me, let me pitch that question to you first, because, you know, we are, whether it's hyped up or whether it's reality or whether it's justified or it's not justified, there's a degree of fear that is gripping people. And I think somewhat unnecessarily, especially if you throw the faith component in there, that we need to be able to function as a society and move on and not be locked down by this thing. 
So let me ask you, Dr. Spann, first of all, to respond to that. Well, Kim, I, I see uh, 20 to 40 people a day, depending on the demand, and I interview people. I have patients in my um, practice who are anarchists, who are Black Lives Matter supporters, who are people who fly the rebel flag in the back of their truck proudly, uh, community leaders, businessmen, CEOs, pastors. I have uh, a ministry that I uh, help and serve pastors from around the world and uh, with uh, counseling and marital help. So I get to talk to a lot of people, and I've been interested, especially in country folks and and people who have a low level of education, especially the patients that are over 65 because they're the ones most at risk. And here's the number one question that I get from all those groups, and that is, Dr. Spann, how do we learn to live with this? So just from, just from the wisest man ever born of a human father, King Solomon said, there is no new thing under the sun. This is not unprecedented. We've, we've had other illnesses before. I've said so many times on YouTube, and I've said it to you, uh, the polio epidemic w- would rival this. I do think that the swine flu might have rivaled this. I do think this is a new virus, and we just don't know. And, and I think that's one of the battles that I've been so thankful for the ADH and the governor's office and how they've handled this. They're trying not to overshoot and overreach, but there is a point, a tipping point, where if you don't distance yourself socially and wear masks and wash your hands and and obey the what the scripture says obey every ordinance of man for the lord's sake for christians or believers you're doing harm and we're supposed to be people out there considering the other fellow uh we need because we don't know because there's number one fear there's number two confusion number three there's things that we've said and i've said that i've had to apologize for because we just don't know Uh, i mean the surgeon general said things early on that he's had to go back and retract so one of the enemies that we have is confusion and a lack of information. Now, I'll give you the other side of that. I have over 120 articles in my email in basket and 27 articles up on my computer that I have not had time to read this week about coronavirus. But I did read two or three this morning that bear on your point. One is there is a cardiac disorder called Takotsubu's uh, um, cardiomyopathy, and it's when someone's heart fails from fear. And that has increased significantly in cardiac hospitals in people who don't have coronavirus. So people are actually having coronary syndromes and cardiac syndromes because they are scared to death because of all the publicity and all of the sensationalism in the news. Um, I've got an article uh, up that concerns the, the challenge in estimating the total lives lost in COVID compared with the disease itself from that, compared with social isolation, depression, unemployment, and not going back to school. So you see this on all sides. Um, But it is a a daily issue with the patients that I have from 18 to 85. Um, And I think people understand that if they're obese, prediabetic, diabetic, uh, have lung disease, have heart disease over the age of 65, but especially over 80, they're at greater risk. So it, it's just a fear from confusion, and we don't have that 18 months of data and meta-analyses of all these studies, but it's getting better. So we're going to be able to start giving people better information. The way out of this is immunity, and, and that's going to be through vaccines, which they'll probably be only about 50% from the study I saw this morning because of all the anti-vaccine folks out there and because of those who uh, are afraid to take the vaccine or think the government's going to put a chip in it or something foolish like that. 
you know, you're going to have about 50%. So then we, we have then the other 20% that are going to need or so, 10 to 20, they're going to need to become immune, immune through the illness or recovery or some other means. We're going to have treatments. You know, December, January, I fully expect phase three trials to be done on the mRNA 1273 from Moderna. And it looks like a great viral, uh, antiviral vaccine. Um, so I'll, that's enough for me. I'd like to hear what Dr. Dillahay thinks about that one. Dr. Dillahay, any comments? Well, uh, I'm also encouraged by the Moderna vaccine. And there's other vaccine candidates out there. I'm very heartened by the progress with the safety and efficacy studies. You know, the government is really making these companies toe the line with regard to making sure that the vaccines are safe and effective, just like we would under any other uh, ex- uh, circumstance with vaccines in the Uh, past when they were developed. The important difference here, and this is a huge risk that the investors are making, is that um, usually as a vaccine is being uh, going through its trials, the clinical studies, the vaccine manufacturer does not start manufacturing the vaccine until after the vaccine is uh, approved by the FDA. What they're doing now is they're going ahead and making doses of the vaccine even before the vaccine is approved based on the safety and efficacy studies. This is a huge risk because they will have to throw all of that vaccine out if the vaccine studies show that the vaccine is not safe or does not work. So that is one way that as a country, we're getting vaccine ready. So if the, if the vaccine works, we're ready to go and people can get it right away. But it's a huge risk to investors uh, because they could lose all of the money that they put into manufacturing the vaccine ahead of time if it has to be thrown out. Kind of a uh, risky question to answer, but I want to ask you anyway, because people are, I've already had people say something to me this week about it, and that is what, are people going to be mandated to take the vaccine given the severity of COVID-19? Unlike the flu, they choose not to take the flu shot. You get the flu and granted you're going to pass it on to other people, but are there discussions in the medical world that this is one of those things that a vaccine, if found for COVID or when, not if, when it is found for COVID-19, it's going to be, there are going to be attempts to make it mandatory. I have not heard any discussions to this point in time about making it mandatory. Um, so as far as the pathway forward, let let me uh, shift and ask you this question. This is the other one I had for you. So one of the things is like next week, I'm going to have Dr. Jensen on and he, you know, he has an impressive track record as a doctor. I've got a lot of doctor friends and I talked to some of them. They say, uh, we just need to learn to adapt and move on and, and quit spending all this money doing all this stuff and find the vaccine and deal with it and move on. And then I've got others that are, you know, cheering the governor because he mandated the mask. And so we as lay people are caught in the middle of you medical folks that are back and forth. And I'm not saying that Dr. Spann, you and Dr. Dilhay are at odds each other. I didn't mean to imply that. But how do we as the lay people know who to believe and how do we as lay people know which report to take? Because since this has started, it's almost like a pancake flipping back and forth. Do you do this or do you not? And let me start this time. Dr. Dillahay. Well, I think it's important for people to know 
the sources of the information that they consume. I encourage people to find a source of information that they feel is reliable and stick with it. I think when people um, internet surf or they get on social media and just dabble in all sorts of information, it can be very alarming to people because um, people put information out there and try to grab you with it so you'll be exposed to their ads. They're not really there to inform you or make sure you know what is uh, the best information. So I encourage people to uh, find a good source and stick with it. Um, I think, well, I like to think that I'm a good source of information and that Dr. Spann is a good source. And uh, we want people to know that we have their best interests at heart. It's hard to convince people of that, of course, if they're very suspicious or if they are worried or have a lot of fear, but, uh, you know, the important part, you know, is to know that we in Arkansas have got to work together to make sure that we have good, reliable information out there so that people do know what to do. And it's, it's a hard uh, task to accomplish because there's a lot of misinformation out there also. Dr. Spann? Well, I, I shared earlier how many articles I have on my desk. I have articles in paper print on my desk, Kim, and Dr. Dillahay gets the same articles. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to know Dr. Chai, who is uh, her data synthesis doc, because I want the best studies. But even within one journal, a great journal, you'll have articles that differ on whether it's spread by aerosols or not and how many people are going to have immunity for longer and what is the asymptomatic spread. I mean, I can show you everything from it's only 9% asymptomatic spread from the World Health Organization or less to 40% um, to 60% in some cases. But what she said is true. Let me just say amen because what she said is right. Even I have to limit my exposure. My concern is people are getting their medical information, as I said to you last week, from breaking news. Uh, and you sure don't want to have CNN or MSNBC or even Fox News being the source that you use because they want eyeballs. They want to sell ads. Everybody on the Internet. The Internet's worse than cable news. Um, and, and But I even have to limit mine to three or four major sources. But you're going to find different things. The idea is, you know, Scripture says, let everything be confirmed in the mouth of two or three witnesses. When you find three major sources, which I always tell my patients, look, you listen to the Arkansas Department of Health, and you check it with me to see if the common sense answer that I've synthesized is the same. And then you talk to someone who has your best interest at heart that's not medical, like your pastor. If you have three people that say the same thing, you got a pretty good answer, especially if it's confirmed by scientists who have a different, basically, worldview than you do. The problem we have out there is there's way too much suspicion and negativity and just rebelliousness in some that just if the government says it, they just want to throw it out of hand. Uh, the Arkansas Department of Health and Governor Hutchinson and Nate Smith – and Dr. Romero and Dr. Dillahay and Dr. Chai have one interest at heart, and that is your safety. They may have to go to the extreme because they're policymakers, but they're not going to put out anything. They don't want to ever have to retract anything, and they sure don't want anybody to die. And neither do I, but I'm an individual as well, and I don't make policy. So I would say you get your information from a very trustworthy source and don't make it Twitter. Certainly don't make it Facebook. Don't make it any social feed where people have no accountability and have to have no discipline. And if they don't have a state license, I wouldn't listen to them. Okay. I'm curious what Dr. Right. Dillahay hey, thinks about me, that one. <laughs> okay. Let me ask you, I need to ask Dr. Dillahay one question 
Um, and, and Dr. Dillhay, not to put you on the spot, but I've had several preachers reach out to me this past week, uh, directly and indirectly, and they felt from some of their members that churches were being targeted. You throw on that the list that was released, which I don't remember. It may have been out there, and maybe I just missed it, but I don't see a list of the Walmarts where there were, you know, uh, employees identified or other private businesses, but the church list got put out there. And and I need to hear on behalf of my constituents and those that are listening an explanation from the health department of the church list issue and also just straight up is the Department of Health or those that are working as contact tracers targeting churches uh, as, as far as uh, being a contributing source to the problem well i can tell you that we had identified some churches where transmission had taken place and they were churches that really weren't following the recommendations so our goal was to work with those churches to help them understand what the recommendations were and encourage them to follow them to prevent spread so we did have a list of these churches and the press learned about that list and requested it and we felt that we didn't have any choice but to release it because they could have just FOI'd it. There wasn't a way that we could not release the list. And it gave us a lot of angst and heartburn to do it because we were not interested in calling out the churches. And uh, we have people on our staff who take their faith really seriously and had been working with the churches and uh, were... um, very unhappy that it was released and um then we um found that the articles were faulting us for releasing the um um when we felt we didn't have a choice because it was requested by the media so it put us in a very difficult situation and we have been trying hard to regain the trust of the uh congregations that felt that they were unfairly um, highlighted. And uh, we do want to work with churches to minimize the spread. We know that uh, COVID-19 has occurred in churches and that church members have died of COVID-19 in Arkansas from catching it in churches. So we don't want that to happen. And uh, we are not targeting churches any more than any other location. we, uh, uh, of course, churches don't have the same mandate that, say, restaurants do, but we still want to work with them to make sure that they know the best practices and why things are recommended and encourage them with the data that we have uh, about churches that, you know, haven't been, hasn't been published. So that's kind of a general synopsis of how things went around here. Okay, let me let me give you a quick scenario. Then we've only got a couple minutes, and so at a church, if the people get out of the car and they're wearing masks and they walk through the congregation to their seats and they sit down, then are they uh, under the guidelines? Uh, they are able to take the mask off at that time, participate in worship, worship, and understand communion is a different environment. That's kind of a set aside issue, but just the general worship. And then when they get ready to leave, they put the mask back on and wear the mask back to the car. Is that a safe enough practice for a congregation um, to utilize? 
Uh, I would say with what we're learning uh, about the virus being aerosolized that I would encourage them, people in churches to wear the mask at all times, except when they're taking communion. Yep. Uh, we know that especially with singing, singing is just extremely good at aerosolizing the virus that, you know, I would even discourage churches from singing, have instrumental music or a singer, but um, that is separated from the rest of the congregation. But uh, I think wearing masks in church is going to be very important. i tell you what, I'll get you back on, not next week, because i got Dr. Jensen. We'll have a follow-up on that. One of the things, and I'm about out of time, I'm sorry, i got to go, but one of the things is a little bit of conflict of information because we're told we can maintain six feet apart, it's okay. And, and I think that's something we got to work on is streamlining the information to be consistent right. so right. it doesn't yes. send out mixed messages. Right. Well, and it's not black and white. It's nothing magic about six feet, yes. you know. All right. I got one minute. I got to give my sponsors a little credit. Dr. Spann, thanks for coming on. We'll get you back on in the future. Dr. Dillahay, thanks for coming on the Kim Hammer Show. It's Saturday. I appreciate you all giving up your time. I only get an hour, but I appreciate you doing it. You're welcome. All right. Kim. This is Kim Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> Woo!